Welcome to Near Death Experience Podcast. I'm Chaz Hathaway. We're going to read a, a, an account from Near Death Experience Research Foundation website, enderf.org. And this is one of the very early ones. Um, and it's also one that uh, it appears that they wanted to remain anonymous because there is no name associated with it. But if you wanted to uh, find it on the website, it's called it. It does have kind of a subtitle: "My vision of life has changed forever." <clears throat> My first near-death experience was at age 45 in 1995. I suffered a massive heart attack and subsequently had a triple bypass. After I came to, after the operation, I had a distinct memory of moving to another dimension or place, if you will. For several months, I thought this memory was caused by the drugs, but after time, I came to believe it was something else. I drifted or floated to a place of such calm it was impossible to gauge. There was a blue sky as blue as I'd ever seen. Sometimes today I look at a blue sky and get a feeling of calmness. I saw tall grass bending, gently blowing in the wind over rolling hills, but there was no feeling of a breeze, nor was there any sound. It was so quiet. I was not walking, but seemed to be floating over the fields very slowly. This place was filled with warmth, calmness, and an unexplainable feeling of fulfillment and being one with the universe. As I was drifting over the hills so very slowly and absorbing this feeling of greatest warmth, I saw frames of my, child, of my children flashing across the horizon. They were not still pictures, but pictures of them looking at me very worried. They were wanting me to come back to be with them. They needed me, and they did not say anything. I could hear them without seeing their lips moving. I knew I had to make a choice right then. If I didn't, I would not be going back. To go on, I would be encompassed by this calmness and warmth forever. It would have been nice to go. To go back, I would be going to a place of hurt and pain. I would be filled with pain and responsibility, the hurt of emotions, the stress of life. I decided to go back because my children needed more help in directing their futures. Their future depended on me to be there. It was just not time yet. The children are just not ready to go on by themselves. Instantly, I was back. I saw no bright light or angels or the feeling of a religious entity. My second near-death experience happened in 1997. I was involved in a serious car crash with many major injuries. So this was two years later. Okay. Um, when I was trapped in the car, I felt no pain even though I had my pelvis broken in two places, a fractured tailbone, a rib that had punctured my lung, a fractured skull and lacerations on my face, and part of my ear was severed. I had many flashbacks of the accident for months after, but I had a positive and complete memory of the near-death experience when I became conscious enough to talk and stay awake without passing out several days later. 
I started talking about my experience to my son first, to my son first, then to others as I became more comfortable talking about it. Again, I tried to evaluate whether this was from the drugs or was it just the signals that your mind gets as your body shuts down. I saw again a place of warmth, love, and friendship. It was something like a tunnel, but not round. It was a walkway type tunnel that you see joining buildings or stores together. The type that goes over, the, over a street, not narrow, but wide. I walked along it, or it felt like I was walking, but I don't remember my feet moving. It was not bright on each side of the walkway, but it was not dark either. When I reached the end of the tunnel, I could see people. I, it appeared to be only from their waist up. It was not scary at all. Everyone was smiling and happy. I saw faces that I recognized. I saw two grandfathers and my father. It was very dark behind their bodies, and I felt the presence of multitudes of others behind them. Someone was shaking my hand as to greet me. I think it was my father. He died of Alzheimer's disease and was a mess when he died. But now he was upright and looking healthy, and I realized just how short he really was. All these people were so very happy to see me. At that point, I felt the need to go back to the living. It was not a horrifying feeling, but just a point where it was time to decide. I still don't think the decision to go back was mine. I feel someone decided it for me. My hand was still holding, not shaking anymore in greetings, the person who I first started shaking hands with. The hand was very warm and soothing. My hand slowly and gently slipped away as if floating backward to the living world. The hand was not holding me at all, but had a very gentle grip. Then it was over. I was back. Somewhere during this whole experience, or whatever it was, I remember a brown door with an old-fashioned porcelain doorknob on it, surrounded by a black, black, black background. I knew on the other side of the door was a religious phenomenon, very bright light, and probably God himself. This door is always there, and is always available to everyone. I can go through it any time I wish. I have a feeling that my hand was on the doorknob, and I could have gone through any time I wanted. In retrospect, I'm not afraid of dying now. One distinct feeling I have is there are people who went to the other side against their will, and I feel so very sorry for them. They're happy there because they have adjusted, but rather would have spent more time in the real world to stay with loved ones. I used to be religious, but I'm not a religious person today, although I have a, now a great respect for deeply religious people. I had an insight to something very few people get to see, and I'm happy to have experienced it. I enjoy telling people about it, but I am very careful to whom I talk about this. So, that's the end of the experience. This, this was one of the early accounts given. And it's interesting to me to note how some people, like um, Friday's entry, I believe it was, um, we interviewed, or that it, we, we had a, uh, we shared the experience, I'm sorry, of, of Thomas Sawyer. 
and his is very you know he gives these cool minute details and he's just everything so deep and this one though you could sense they were very they felt all the same feelings those love and and acceptance and this and, and joy and so forth they're very surface on their descriptions which i find interesting um i think it's you know we're, we're different personalities when someone discusses how a ride at Disneyland feels and what the experience is like. Some people will say, well, you kind of whip around a bit and then you're, you know, you're rushing along or whatever. And then others are saying, so we first got in and then we strapped on these things and then it just kind of started going clink, clink, clink. And, and, and they give all these details. So that's, you know, I, I love the detailed ones, but these, these simpler sounding ones provide for a context that allows us to see that however you are and however you see the world and however much detail you notice in things that's how much you're likely to notice in your near-death experience too another point that i i took as interesting in this is his description of the tunnel because so many have said you know it was like swirling clouds or like a tornado kind of a thing kind of you know it, I've heard of caves even. This one talks about almost like the tunnel between buildings. This is, a, this is almost like a man-made tunnel. You know, I imagine it being square or rectangle and stretched out. and and um, Which just goes to show that many of these elements, especially things like the tunnel or the void or even the light, will take on different aspects or different um, appearances for different people. Now, could it be based on where they're going? I don't know. Maybe. You know, maybe if you're going to this field that you're going to float over, maybe that's the route you take. You take that kind of tunnel. My guess is it's more personal-based rather than location-based. But that's a guess. I couldn't tell you for sure. Again, that was on enderf.org. Let's read one more because that one didn't take too long. This is also on enderf.org, and it's the next in line experience. This was, um, this near-death experience took place in May of 1969, and uh, the description is, when time stood still. So, we'll go ahead and read that. Now, there's a little thing here, maybe some of you, I don't know, military or something, well, understand what this is this is b co second bn slash four let's see slash 47 inf maybe infantry m-e-c-h mechanic i don't know nine foot or nine inf div division so some you know div is probably division you know infantry division i don't know you know somebody out there will understand but it says the third of may 1969 it was toward the end of the dry season, and my platoon was pulling out. Our mission was simple. Drive down the road, show the flag, and make sure that we still had the right of way. The two slowly moving trucks, armored personnel carriers, in front of mine, were already kicking up the pulverized dirt into little clouds of dust. Lady, the platoon mascot, trotted alongside, wagging her tail. She no longer went with us, ever since a mine had blown up the, the truck she'd been riding on. Now, a little me note here. 
I don't know who Lady is. I, I, I'm, I assume a dog, maybe? <laughs> anyway, okay. Um, I exchanged my clothes, my, my cloth hat for a helmet, put on my wire-rimmed glasses, and half-cocked the 50 caliber machine gun as we passed through the base camp gate and picked up speed. Lady stopped a few feet beyond the gate and watched us go. Our four tracks soon achieved a monotonous but comfortable 40 miles per hour, which creates a gentle breeze. The either To either side of the road, for, a mile, for mile after mile, lay a gridwork of rice paddy dikes, uh, dividing the land into tidy rectangles of various sizes. The pale yellow stubble of the last season's crop failed to hide the earth in the fields. Separated by cracks an inch wide, the clay soil of the paddies had dried into flagstone-sized blocks. Although the land was flat, the fields did not extend far into the distance, but rather ended abruptly at, ubiquitous wood, at the wood, ubiquitous wood line. This woods was composed of thick, lush, green nipa palm and stood from 20 to 30 feet tall, from no place in the Mekong River Del Delta could one escape from being completely surrounded by it. Sometimes it might be a couple of miles away and uh, others and on only a few hundred feet. It grew where the Delta distuaries were and they, like, the, like a root system, were everywhere. We controlled the larger towns and villages, the roads, the skies, the, the major waterways, and the rice paddies. The wood line belonged to Charlie. With diesel engines roaring and trailing a huge mile-long cloud of dust, the column began to approach one of the spots where the dreaded jungle wall squeezed into the road from both sides. Instinctively, I began to watch the wood line more closely. All of a sudden, a very large anti-tank mine was command-detonated eight feet directly be beneath my little old Lily White SS. I immediately knew what was happening because my track had been blown up before th just three weeks prior to this. I thought to myself, oh shoot, here we go again. I was catapulted upward along with everyone and everything else. People, dust, weapons, ammunition, helmets, and sea ration boxes formed an expanding inverted cone with myself in the middle. On the journey upward, external time or decelerated. The rates of the rotations of all the objects surrounding me rapidly decreased in an apparent violation of the law of conservation of angular momentum. I was fascinated by the unnatural, ever-slowing gyrations of the bodies of my comrades and wondered, is this the end? Are we all dead? At the apex of my trajectory, time stopped completely and an inexplicable calm descended. The state of consciousness that then prevailed was as to the normal waking state as the normal waking state is to a dream. Whatever it was, it was peaceful, omnipresent, temporarily and spatially, 
omniscient and absorbed everything into the invisible whole, into an, an invisible whole. The entire universe, past, present, and future, collapsed down to a single center upon which everything depends for its existence. It is that which does not change. It is the light of pure consciousness when, which illuminates all things. It is the ultimate meaning of the enig enigmatic biblical passage. The light of the body is the eye. Is therefore the, thine eye, if therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be filled or full of light. Matthew 6.22 is the great nothing, for it includes all things, and therefore itself, it itself is nothing. That's how it gets to be the all in all. Furthermore, there was, and still is, absolutely no doubt as to its authenticity any more than one would doubt upon waking from a dream that the waking state is real and that the dream was just a dream. In short, God himself took over my reins, and in, in the sense that I no longer existed as a distinct entity, only he exists, there was an overwhelming feeling, feeling of bliss, love, compassion, and strangely enough, a, a foudroyant sense of deja vu. The knowledge obtained that the true home and the true self of all things had been miraculously revealed. The events of my life up to that point were unhurriedly and non-judgmentally reviewed in great detail, not in chronological order, but somehow all at once, although some major events were emphasized more intensely than others. Subsequently, I was allowed to exist again. There was no choice in the matter, it simply happened, and was given the opportunity to be aware of anything that I wanted to be aware of with the understanding that time was not a factor. Indeed, there was all, t all the time in the world. I proceeded to focus on this or that aspect of my life and concluded that there wasn't much to be ashamed of, actually. I made extremely poor use of the gift, of this gift, but then I was just a naive 22-year-old with a somewhat skewed concept of relative importance. I could see a 360-degree panorama of the road, the wood lines on either side, and the other three tracks of my pl platoon, two in front and one behind us. The entire episode seemed to be housed in my head, but I was uncertain whether or not my head was still attached to the rest of my body, although under the circumstances this point did not seem important one way or the other. In other words, I really didn't care if my life was to be snuffed out or not within the next few seconds. I was then gently but unequivocally informed that I would survive the explosion without serious injury and that, and, and even that, I would make it out of Vietnam in one piece. So selfishly, I turned my attention to the immediate situation and very calmly and deliberately concluded that I should, one, stay conscious so as to not drown in two inches of rice paddy water, two, stay loose so as to break as few bones as possible, and three, roll away from the track so that it wouldn't crush me to death if it tipped over. 
Only after my mind had run out of things to decide on did time start to rush back in. The transcendent, transcendental state of consciousness terminated and I reverted back to the normal walking or waking state. I could see the ground about 20 feet below me and I began to fall towards it. I was left with an intense feeling of awe and well-being. Ever since, I've been convinced with a conviction that precedes even my own conviction that 2 plus 2 equals 4, that God is for me. It is no longer a matter of faith or belief, but rather one of knowing for sure, because I have seen him as he is. However, it was a pleasant surprise to discover that he is loving, compassionate, and forgiving, properties which I had not previously made adequate allowances for. I will always be thankful to him for reaching down and picking me up in the palm of his hands and palm of his hand so as to speak at a particular instant. In fact, it still bears tears of gra it still brings tears of gratitude to my eyes, even as I write this thirty years later. Also, I no longer fear death. Pain and suffering, yes, but not death itself. Because by his grace, this particular raindrop remembers the ocean from which it comes. Unfortunately, the experience of this state is up to God, not down to us. But to take my, but take my word for it, it is always here and now, and a lot closer than you think. I've never experienced anything before or since which came anywhere near close to being as real and as profound as the state of consciousness which I have feebly attempted to describe. However, my remembrance of it has sufficed to convince and comfort me through the vicissitudes of life, especially through the hard times. Sorry, I have not noticed any paranormal or psychic or supernatural abilities with respect to myself, just an unshaken conviction in the reality of something spiritual. If you ever run across a surefire method for reawakening this state within me, without blowing me up or telling me to meditate an, on OM for 30 years, please let me know. May God be with you. He will anyway, but it's a nice thought. Okay, that's the end of that. <laughs> I love his little comments at the end there, you know. Um, so there's, again, we talk about, we talked about how, you know, some people just notice more and they're all about details and stuff and others are, you know, more, uh, more just simple in their explanations. And I think this gives the alternate example. You know, the first one was kind of a big experience. He saw a loved one, the tunnel, you know, he, he saw many of the major elements of a near-death experience, but gave a fairly light description of them. This one, I'm not clear I'll have to glance through it again, but I'm not clear that he saw anything. But he had this opening of his mind to, you know, answers and to, you know, questions and, and, and feelings and so forth. And uh, it's like time stopped for him. And I love his description of how time slowed. And at first he's like, okay, whatever happened to the laws of physics? You know, he's kind of like floating there like 
knowing what's happening because he'd been through it. He'd been through an explosion and thrown in the air from it and apparently survived it because uh, here he is a short time later um, back on the road. Well, his experience, it seems that, and I say his, it doesn't say, um, I don't remember it saying that if he was a, a man or a woman, but based on the time period, 1969, I think it's much more likely that it's a man and maybe somebody who can understand that B Co. Second Ben 47 Inf. Mac, you know, and all <laughs> would, would be able to confirm or deny that. But anyway, point is, um, this guy had this incredible experience, feels like he was in the presence of God. And the fact that he doesn't give a description of it, of, of that, um, tells me that he was in that mental state, but probably didn't experience much of the elements of the near-death experience. But he absolutely did experience the timeless aspect to it. He didn't see things, from what I can tell. He didn't hear things, but he experienced quite a bit. And, uh, I just find that interesting. So, we'll go ahead and, and finish up there. I love this. I, I love how there are these experiences that have been recorded out there, even by those who don't necessarily want their their experience to be associated with their name. You know, they don't. They didn't put their names on these, and uh, they have have chosen to re remain anonymous. But they're still giving us the insights that they got from their experience and shared what they experienced with us, which is so valuable. I mean, there are so many experiences now that have been shared that we have gone from being anecdotal in our education along these lines to being statistical. You, you can look at hundreds, thousands of near-death experiences and find common elements. I have not researched other strange phenomena kind of things such as UFOs or or some of the wilder conspiracy theories or you know flat earth <laughs> kind of of studies and so forth um, none of which I fully buy into um, though I do believe there's other life in the universe most you know partly because of my religious and spiritual, you know, learning from these experiences. But as far as, you know, alien abductions and, and autopsies taking place and being put back together and sent back to Earth and things like that, they, those are all very anecdotal kind of stories. And so you have to take them, not just with a grain of salt, with, but with a great dose of skepticism. You know, any subject that's really kind of out there you kind of have to take them um, with a, an incredible amount of skepticism. And to any of you that believe in any of those things, don't try to um, understand that I'm, I'm saying that those things are not true, not real, it's all made up or something. I just don't know. I just don't have the context or the statistics, if you will, to be able to verify any of it. Um, and so if you know of more of those, fine, you can share it with me, but that's not what this is about, and I don't 
I'm not really into the other kinds of things anyway. My point is <laughs> that near-death experiences have come in by the thousands. They, they've got estimates of thousands of people every year having near-death experiences. This is not a small number. If you start looking at it in terms of how many people get certain diseases or certain kinds of car accidents, whatever, it starts becoming comparable. And the fact that you can look at any individual, talk to them, have them talk to their family and friends, and they're very likely to find at least a couple of people who have had something of a near-death experience. It may be just a sensation of floating above their body. It may be a sensation of being wrapped in love. Or, or it may be this full-on experience with relatives and the light and, you know, traveling through space and whatever else as well. So, I, I, I just feel like we're so blessed to live in a time when we have the technology for all these thousands of anecdotal stories to be put together in such a way like the Enderf site and the Near-Death site, the Ion site, and the hundreds, possibly thousands of books out there about people's experiences along these lines, not to mention all the many people that many of the interviewers of many of these books um, write into their books for people who have no intention of putting their stuff online or writing a book. They get interviewed by those who do, and then those people put it online. So there is so much coming out and so much available that we are better equipped than ever in history to analyze these things, to look at it and say, yeah, I remember my Grandpa Joe talking about this kind of weird timeless factor to it, but now we have this guy's story to compare it to, that guy's story to compare it to, this lady's experience to compare it to, my grandma, you know, your, you, you know, so-and-so's grandma from whatever, and, and you have so many different experiences, and then just scrolling through these accounts, you could find everything about time, and if somebody really wanted a good project, they could focus on one aspect of it and just become the world expert on it, simply because, let's face it, there are not a lot of people for how extremely common this kind of experience is. You know, they say one in 10 people have some kind of experience like this. For how incredibly common it is, there are so few people out there studying it intensely. You know, I've, I've heard of probably dozens. And, and of course, you know, there's amateurs like myself that, that are doing this without any scientific basis other than just examining experience after experience. And it would be really interesting for somebody, that, if they were interested, to go through and, and just really find every experience, for example, that talks about time in any way, and just have a compilation of all this stuff about time. You could write a book based on what you learn <clears throat> from such a compilation um, that you'd probably be able to know more than what even Einstein knew. Is that a bold statement? Yeah, of course it is. Einstein didn't have the ions resources and the Enderf resources and, and all the books that are available. Whether he would have been interested in that, I don't know. I suspect he would be fascinated by it, but because it's not in the mathematical science field, he probably wouldn't pursue it as 
as a you know head-on study on his part but I think he would enjoy the learning about this I think he could probably offer some explanations that maybe most of us wouldn't understand but point is this stuff is so cool and and there's so much to be learned from it so with that thank you again so much for listening